Guys, it is hard to believe that our annual Top 63 event will be here so soon. And just to give our listeners another reminder, August 13th, 6.45 p.m., we will have our annual Top 63 banquet at Kaiser University. And guys, just thinking about this 2023 class from, from a broad perspective, maybe I'm biased, but this specific group seems especially talented. Brian, you've seen so many countless classes come through the ranks in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast. Do you feel like this one is extra impressive? Yeah, I agree. I think the best part going right now for this class is that recruiting is back. So the last couple of years, the elite of the elite were going to find their home. Schools were going to find them. But then you didn't get anything with other guys. The example I always think about is up at Vero Beach. Ganoku ends up going to Alabama. His running back, Bobby McMillan, a great player. But other schools weren't coming down here because they weren't allowed to. He eventually ends up at Arkansas State. But that's one of those guys that, you know, a Mac school would come down here or maybe another school from the Power Five would say, wait, who's that kid as they're looking at someone? So we're seeing a lot of that. There does seem to be a lot of offers going out to this class. This is a very strong class. And I think a big part of that is college coaches can finally see the talent once again. Stone, you were a top 63 honoree during your high school days at South Fork. How cool is it to be on the other side of the curtain and have some perspective on not only being a member of the list, but also helping to evaluate so much of the great talent in the area and put the top 63 list together? Yeah, you said it. It's super cool to be on the other side of the curtain. And I feel like myself, I was an under-recruited athlete. And typically what I found myself doing was comparing myself to other players, similar height, similar weight. And because I did all that and spent a lot of time doing that as a player, it's similar to the position that we're all in right now and evaluating other players. So I've evaluated guys on a different scale than I think most people do. Like, is he fast? Is he quick? I don't do, I don't think that way anymore. I think that despite someone's size, despite however their body's built, I see him a different way. And I think now that I'm on the other side of the curtain, like you mentioned, it helps because that's what's needed when you're really articulating talent, especially in an area that hasn't been recruited as well as we had hoped, but we just spoke about that it's on the rise but it needs more. So I feel like I have a nice little angle on how to evaluate talent because I was somebody who was under-recruited. So it's really cool. Again, Cyrus Wittick here on High School Hysteria talking with my guys, Brian Rowitz and Stone Labanowitz. Putting together a list of 63 athletes, especially with this much talent to choose from, is no small, small feat. Brian, if you can, give us some insight into the process of how the list comes together and all the ingredients you use, whether it be stats, offer lists, game tape, and and everything that helps you put it all together. Well, I think all those things you mentioned, the stats, the film, the offers, those things matter. But ultimately, it's on the coaches. We reach out to the coaches every spring and say, hey, give us five of your guys in order and give us at least three guys from other schools in the area. So these are the coaches that are coaching against these guys and practicing against them. And then that list becomes 63. This year, 200. That was a total amount of guys we got. We go through it all, 200 total kids. We're then going to narrow that down to 63. And with the coaches, they have such a good feel. Like, I'll be honest, there have been times in the past where other schools will nominate, you know, little Billy from down at this school, and he'll have three votes. I'm like, oh, what about him? Then I reached out to his coach, like, yeah, Billy's not playing this year, or Billy doesn't have the <laughs> grades to do it, or Billy doesn't deserve this recognition. So little things like that go a long way. These coaches, they're looking out for their guys. They do all think that all five of their guys are nominated should be on the list. So that's something, you know, we'll deal with also. But ultimately, these coaches are the one nominating, voting and going through all that stuff. So that's a big part of this whole process. 
Speaking of evaluating talent, I think it's fair to say that the most well-known signal caller in the area is Palm Beach Central's Ahmad Haston, who is committed to play at UMass. But there's plenty of other quarterbacks getting some recruiting buzz. Stone, I'll let you take the honors on this one uh, before we go to Brian. But what do you look for when you watch tape of potential quarterbacks and their ability and potential at the next level? For me, it's timing. So the biggest difference between high school football and collegiate football is guys throwing balls on rhythm. What I mean by that is when you're taking a three-step drop and a five-step drop, in college and most definitely in the pros, that ball's out on your third step. That ball's out on your fifth step. So that's my foundation. That's my base. Can a kid who's going to be a senior who aspires to play at the next level get balls out on rhythm and in time? And like I said, that's my base. And a lot of the time when you turn on the tape, whether he's a sophomore or a junior, and he has what is called a hitch, and a hitch, you see it every day in your life if you watch any bit of football, but you take that one, two, three, and it's that kind of crow hop motion you see. When I see that, it tells me kind of how well you're being coached, how many guys are coaching you. Like, and then I look into who's coaching you. Like, has he played before? And if he hasn't, it's a little questionable to me. So I think throwing the balls on rhythm for high school kids mm-hmm. is the most important thing that I look for because it's something that I had jammed into me when I was probably a junior, my freshman and sophomore year, my footwork wasn't really where it needed to be. But once I started throwing balls on rhythm, I think as a recruiter and as somebody who wants you to come play for their school and pay you money to do so, can this kid get balls out in time? Yeah. Because yeah. at the next level, corners and safeties, they're a lot quicker than they are in high school. So look like he's got a strong arm and can throw a 10 out. Yeah, he got it there on his huddle highlight tape, but a college coach sees it a little differently. Can that corner mm-hmm. jump that ball? And if the kid didn't throw it on his third step and a three-step drop, then you're automatically crossed off the list. And that's just how brutal it is in, in, in evaluating and recruiting quarterbacks. And I think the other thing to keep in mind, Cyrus, with the quarterbacks is, they're very young. Like last year, we had freshmen and sophomores making plays. So obviously, with the way transfers are, we don't know if they'll be on the top 63 because they would still have to be here their senior year. Right. But it is a very young class of quarterbacks moving forward also. Again, here on High School Hysteria, talking with Brian Rowitz and Stone Labanowitz. Guys, the, the top 63 list has become a mainstay in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast. When you say top 63, everybody knows what you're talking about. But a new tradition that we're starting this year is revealing the top 10 flag football players in the area from this past spring season. Brian, how excited are you for this new development and to showcase some of the great flag football talent we have down here? I think it's awesome, and I think it's sort of justified even more the more we talk to these coaches. Same process. We're reaching out to them for nominations. They are gung-ho. They are excited about it. This area is growing. This whole state is growing flag football right now. But, you know, back-to-back years, we send multiple teams to the state championship Final Four, and there's only two classes in flag football. So that speaks to the talent in this level. It's cool to see how excited the players are. It's cool to see it growing so much, you know, even where we're going to be at Kaiser. They've had two years of flag football. They've been to the final four twice. Like that's literally Mm -hmm. in our backyard. So it's nice to shine that spotlight. You talk about the 10, the 63, 1063. That's where those numbers come from. But I'm glad we get to spotlight them a little bit more this year as well. We've talked a lot about the state of Florida's struggle to retain high school coaches, especially in football. But that doesn't mean we don't have some really impressive resumes, really impressive coaches coming 
uh, to the area and, and going into their first season uh, this fall. Brian, when you think of first-year coaches this year, are there any that you are particularly excited about when it comes to giving their program a jump start? I think I'm going to cheat a little bit. It's a first year at his program, but Al Shipman at Dwyer. Dwyer, one of the most prestigious programs in our area. When they're down, it's weird. And McKinley Roll had them up. He had them rolling. He goes a different direction. But Al Shipman is two years removed from a per, from an undefeated season, from Coach of the Year honors. So to see him end up at Dwyer and see what he can do with that program, I think it's going to be something fun to see this year. Yeah, and also there's Chuck Kenyon at Royal Palm now. And I think yeah. what... what what benefits he brings to the table is he's been around the area and he's also been a little up North. So he has a taste of all the different types of athletes that they provide. And I think if you're a parent or you're a part of the booster club, you can feel good because this guy's coached kids in the area before, like he's been here. So I think that's kind of an advantage for him coming in, being familiar. And I think for the most part, if you asked around, you know, how everyone perceives him, it'd be good. It'd be really good. So that's a benefit. I think it's almost like a, a jump start. He's got a little head start on the competition around. Close to wrapping things up with Brian Rowitz and Stone Lobanowitz here on High School Hysteria. Stone, we've been talking a lot recently about the rise of the 7-on-7 seven seven camp or, or showcase, tournament, whatever you want to call it. And I think this is something that could, could well be its own separate segment. But I think we can agree that 7-on-7 seven seven is a great opportunity for guys to show off their athleticism and ball skills, especially, and obviously, wide receiver and tight end. But what do you think that you got out of 7-on-7 seven seven as a quarterback? And did 7-on-7 seven seven make you a better quarterback? If you're not a fan of 7-on-7 seven seven, or you're the old classic, there's no pads on, the quarterback's not being rushed, come find me. Holler <laughs> at me. We can have a conversation about this because... I don't think people really understand the nature of seven on seven. It's not about going and winning a tournament. Yeah. That can translate to a team atmosphere and you can translate it to your high school team and you guys can have more of a winning mentality, but that's not what it's there for. From a quarterback perspective, from a wide receiver, any skill player from, from that perspective, you have to be a little selfish because what you're doing out there is just trying to grab these tools and put them in your toolbox. For me, my favorite part about seven-on-seven seven was learning kids' body languages. And what I mean by kids, I mean defenders. Mm-hmm. I think that is what I locked in on the most, like getting a corner's eyes, seeing how nervous he was when it was third and 12, knowing that he was lined up against the best receiver we have and a three-star, four-star kid. You're like, hmm, I have a three-, four-star kid on my high school team. Is he going to be this nervous on third and 12? He doesn't have a helmet on, so I can see his eyes. And when I watch him get into his backpedal late or he's just not doing his normal technique, that's the stuff that I'm putting in my toolbox. And on come Friday night on third and 12, I'm not afraid to throw that comeback on time because I watched him get out of his backpedal because he looked nervous. Mm. I think body language, eyes is something a quarterback and any of the guys, like I mentioned, on skill position can pay attention to and add those little tools to your toolbox. I talked about timing. I think seven on seven, you're allowed to try guys. And what I mean by try, you're allowed to go after them. And I think that's something that, that helps a quarterback build confidence when it's first and 10, or let's go real X's and O's. If we're talking pad padded football on, on Friday night, Saturday or Sunday, it doesn't matter. Second and two, that's what we call a shot call. That's mm-hmm. time for a shot call. Second and two, you're at midfield. You can waste that down because third and two, you could probably either hand it off or find a way to get two yards no matter how you want to do it. So that's the shot call. So if you have that shot call mentality as a quarterback, well, we only need two yards here in seven on seven. Okay. 
I want to dial up a play where there's posts and there's digs and there's go routes involved. And taking that snap, taking your drop and reading a defense, having confidence, knowing you're going to go yard and nothing is going to happen because one, you're not getting rushed. And two, you're going to have third down. You have another down anyway. You utilize that. And then when you complete that ball, you're like, okay, cool. Going into a play, knowing I'm going to go yard, knowing that I have the coverage that I want is just something that's going to make me a better player. So I think just grabbing every little thing, be really, really selfish. Now, don't tell anybody you're being selfish. (laughs) Don't show anybody you're being selfish. But you really are there just to add tools to your game. So anybody who doesn't think it's beneficial, I have a real problem with them. And I would love for them to come find me because on Twitter, all you see is nobody's rushing them, this, that, and this, man. I do not agree with any of that. I love seven on seven. It's very beneficial, especially for kids who are under-recruited and undersized in our area. I think it's officially appropriate to start looking at the schedule, looking at those early season, regular uh, regular season matchups and start circling some interesting ones. Brian, give us some more color on the, the high school hysteria schedule on wh- and where we might end up first few weeks of the season. I think we might have a big announcement at, at top 63. So give us a little bit more uh, background on that. So I'm going to do what, you know, here in the biz, we call it a tease. You mentioned August 13th. You mentioned top 63. That's where we're going to unveil football night in South Florida. We'll unveil the first four weeks of the season. We've sort of taken the flex scheduling approach the last couple of years where we're going to that marquee game. So that night we are going to unveil what will be for the kickoff classic or will be weeks one through three. But yeah, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at ESPN top 63. If you think your game should be that one, but it is fun to get those early season games, new districts. So we'll see some new matchups this year, but those first few weeks, you really get a feel for which teams we're going to be looking out for to potentially make state title runs. 